And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Nick Larkins, how you doing, brother? Doing really well. Thanks for having me. We're talking about NFP. Natural family planning. Natural us, family planning. Bo- both of us bachelors, not married. Not dull, even dating. Not even dating. Uh, and yet, you have some very strong opinions with natural family planning. Well, I think if you're going to be an intelligent and seriously minded Catholic today, most of your opinions are probably going to be strong. And you have a lot of strong opinions. I have a lot of strong opinions. But okay, so explain natural family planning to me. For, for somebody who has no idea even what this term means. Sure. So natural family planning has been around for maybe maybe like 80 to 100 years, if you will, known in, in that sense. And really loosely defined, you can define NFP as the practice of simply observing the signs of fertility and infertility that God built into female human nature. That, that's a definition given by those who teach and propound NFP. So really simple in that way. It's... Uh, wait, wait. So 80 years ago, so this is like right when sexual revolution stuff was going on? Yeah, was this it's, when it started it's, it's originating? Certainly, it's tangential with that, I feel. So maybe 80 years would be a little bit too far. Um, but think like 1965 or uh, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. Umane Vitae would have been published in 1951. Um, and that's where the term responsible parenthood is used for the first time. And NFP really began to flower after the publication of that document. Okay, um, as a, uh, a Catholic way, and this is mostly a Catholic phenomenon, right? Yes, NFP is. Correct. Okay, I mean, because uh, there's charting. Right, so you chart the menstrual cycle. That's right, that's correct. one of the one of the methods. Isn't another one like taking temperature? That has to do with it. Sure. Yeah. There's, okay. there's a lot that goes into the methodological practice of NFP. Um, not all of which I'm intimately familiar with, precisely because I haven't had to do a lot of it. If you get right. my drift, um, and we can get into that some. I'm less interested in the practicality of it, as its application in a lot of lives of married Catholics and the theoretical. Uh, approach, if you will, that a lot of people have to it. It's something that can be applied or misapplied really easily. And I think often many Catholics today misunderstand what NFP is and end up living a very secular, anti-Catholic marriage and family life by virtue of their misapplication of NFP. Right. So this was made by Catholics, though. This was something that Catholics said, we should try and, you know, and and if you go to a marriage counseling class, like it's it's Catholic supported. It's Catholic encouraged. It's even like, and I, it I think- should be, and it should be. I don't actually, I don't have a problem with NFP properly understood. Uh, my contention is that we don't understand NFP. We've lost, if you will, the essence of it as it was articulated, especially by Pope Paul VI. And we need a return to what was originally intended and which is still articulated in natural family planning correctly, but which really doesn't make its way down to the ordinary lives of many Catholics like you and I, a lot of our friends, even people here at Franciscan. That's my claim. We need, we need to return to a better understanding. We can get into that. Okay, so what was the original purpose, original understanding, Paul VI, Humana Vitae, uh, what was the purpose of promoting natural family planning as an all, like, at all, right? Instead of just right. get married, have children, right? Being the Catholic position. Well, so it, that still is the Catholic position in a lot of ways, if you will. And even Humana Vitae mentions that it's there's ought to be special commendation to those who accept the responsibility to generously bear forth more children into the world. And only kind of secondarily, those who are unable to for some present moment, if you will. So the Catholic norm hasn't changed, if you will. That's still around. That's still present. We still ought to have children. They're still considered to be the good, the preeminent good, the supreme good, in the words of Paul VI. 
strength of married life. So that hasn't changed. NFP, if you will, is a further articulation of perennial Catholic principles. It's a modern application of these sorts of things, given the advancements in science and technology and our understanding of biology and that sort of thing. Um, so it hasn't fundamentally changed. It's not a Catholic invention, so to speak, but we use it in Catholic circles precisely because I think NFP and its marketing of itself as a scientific approach speaks to modern people in a way that that wouldn't have before the scientific revolution, certainly before the sexual revolution. So if it's, it's a modern approach to perennial principles. It's a modern approach to planning out how many you know, children you can reasonably have. Is that the way you could define it as? Already, I would say that that begins to be a modern understanding of it, and it's too shallow. That's where people okay. go. They think, okay, NFP is, and actually the authors of this particular book that I'm referencing in a lot of ways recognize that people tend to misuse NFP in that particular way, um, that they treat it as, okay, I don't want to have many children. How can I licitly have less children? Oh, NFP. I'll just use that and it's fine. But that isn't in fact correct. Um, and they make note at one point in time that there are good reasons, say for postponing a pregnancy. Um, these do exist and individual couples need to discern their decisions about seeking and avoiding pregnancy. That's legitimate in a lot of ways. But, and this is I think often lost at the colloquial discussion of NFP, there are all sorts of reasons that are frivolous, selfish, prudent only to, and they, this is their words, prudent only to the highly materialistic, money-counting, and pleasure-seeking sense of prudence. And I think in a lot of ways we wouldn't even think about it, but that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, because it's, you know, oh, I don't think I financially or in my career can have children at this point, but I'm sure, married and sure. I'm a Catholic. And so I want to be aware of when I'm fertile, when I'm not, so I can, you know, plan out and not have to, let's say, upend my career. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Which, so, yeah, so that's a big point. Would you have some... Okay, so uh, I was talking to Kellen about it yesterday uh, on our podcast. And he said, okay, both my parents were in medical school at the time. Like it wasn't a good option for them to have kids at that point in time because mm -hmm. they're in medical school. Understood. Okay, and I'm, I'm assuming they used NFP or whatever. I don't know. Um, but he said, you know, why, why would the church have a problem with a family saying, you know, we're not using artificial contraception. Both of us are in medical school. We can't really have a kid right now. We're married. Yeah, yeah. Like, what would be the problem in charting out, knowing when you're fertile? Nothing. That's the point. Strictly speaking, there isn't a problem, if you will, with charting, with uh, avoiding a pregnancy at a particular point in time. Um, Umana Vitae makes that explicitly, almost painfully clear that there are circumstances in which it is not only just, but obligatory for Catholics to avoid having a further child. The norm, if you will, here is responsible parenthood. And maybe we can get into that for a moment. We can approach NFP from that way. Because I think if we start with the case studies, if you will, in some sense, we'll get lost in the nuances of these particular applications. So you know, a Catholic understanding of something, a norm, a norm is kind of like a rule or a regulation, a principle, if you will, around which other things center and from which they flow. So the norm that guides NFP is what Pope Paul VI calls in Humanae Vitae, responsible parenthood. And that's really important because he uses that word because responsibility entails a high level or a degree of virtue on the part of the parents. The words could almost be used interchangeably. You could say virtuous parenthood, if you will. Responsibility is kind of a, a articulation that's more fine, more particular in that instance, and so he's using it. But the idea there is not that you're just making a sort of um, scientific schematic of some sense and attempting to chart out um, in, a, in a really blasé sort of way how many children you should have, but that by virtue of being parents who are ordered towards Christ and orienting their own family and marriage relationships towards Christ, you need to be responsible in all that you do, which includes, and is almost maybe preeminently includes, how many children you have, what you do with the children you do have, what you do with your life. It, it extends 
far beyond, if you will, the number of children. We get really hooked up on that. Um, but just imagine for a moment if parenthood was only about the number of children. It's absurd. I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. We couldn't. We'd be winning. I, we, we're, I'm oldest of eleven, so exactly. So you, you'd be up there. My uh, Bach. I don't know if you know J.S. Bach, uh, but he had like 18 kids, something like that. So he would definitely be uh, on the on the high scale of that. But anyways, yeah. So yeah. yeah, no. Responsible parenthood is the reason why. Um, so okay, going back to that, uh, you know, two parents. They're both, uh, you know, husband and wife. They're both in medical school, and they're charting out and having periods of abstinence. There's no problem there. What you're saying? Not necessarily. There might be a problem. Okay, but, but go NFP to the might be. Easy. Sure. Okay, well, what it, would be a problem? In there? order to get to the might be, we got to dig down a little bit deeper as to what NFP actually is because it's rooted in a Catholic worldview. Just like everything else, you can imagine a web of some kind. NFP is a strand in the web of a Catholic worldview. And trying to pluck that thread in isolation without examining what happens in the rest of it is ultimately a futile exercise. It must be viewed in relation to the whole. So we'll get to that point. But let's maybe begin with... Um, three points about NFP that NFP presents itself as and that we're going to judge NFP against, if you will. So the first of these is that NFP proposes that every engaged or married person should learn NFP as a process, even if um, they intend to let their babies come as they may. Their argument here is that there's a lot of biological information that's really important for us to understand as modern people um, that is just useful to know. And in a lot of ways, that's really obvious in some sense. Um, they, they say that it's better to have more information and not need it than need more information and not have it. And I'm fine with that. Okay. That so that's like me. the universal, if you, if you're a Catholic and you want to get married in the church, yeah, they yeah. like require you, most dioceses, I think nearly all of them, they require you to take NFP classes. Correct. You, so you're you, saying you, you should know about thing? this. I, I think so. Yes. It depends on what's being taught, but what I'm, I'm arguing for a clear and what I believe to be the correct originally intended view of what NFP really is. And yes, that is a good thing. We should know that. People should talk about it. I think people are talking about it badly, and that's part of the problem in a lot of ways. And I'd like to maybe in this conversation try and clarify some of the errors that come up when we speak about NFP in the modern world and get back to what was originally intended. And so as far as that's concerned, by all means, yeah, we should learn more. We don't need to use all that knowledge, but we should learn more, especially as modern Catholics. So you think the church requiring couples to go to these classes is, is a good thing. The content of the classes is what I dispute. Okay, so let's get so, into a little further. Well, well, let's take it practically. Like, sure. is the content, uh, do you think, on the whole in the church today, do you think the content of what's being taught in these required classes is what you're saying is the original t- intention, or do you think it's been... I- I'm not sure I can speak to that, because that is a big question that would involve intimate knowledge of what's being taught at the parish level everywhere in America, and I simply don't have that. I'm using my experience with conversations of a number of students at Franciscan, a number of engaged friends of mine, as a sort of microcosm, if you will, from which I'm extrapolating. And the general consensus among otherwise educated and passionate Catholics, of which Franciscan is a great pool to pull from, is that we're confused about NFP. We're confused about sex. We're confused about parenthood. We're confused about virtue. We're confused in a lot of ways about what it means to live a Catholic life. We're trying, even though we don't articulate it and we think about it subconsciously, to live as secular materialists with like a Christian frosting on top. Yeah. And that's the problem. So and NFP is the Christian frosting we throw on top of our families because we would <laughs> rather be secular materialists. Right. The whole cake is materialism. This is the extra frosting yeah, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and you can understand a lot of ways why people would go this route because NFP has some tendencies, if you will, to turn into a selfish idea. So the first principle we said with NFP is that if you can know more, you should know more. You don't need to use all the knowledge, but you should have the knowledge. But secondly, NFP- Okay, can I challenge you on that? So should you know that knowledge, right? So 
What is the purpose in you seeking out the knowledge of fertility cycles? The ability to make virtuous decisions about your family life. You can't be a virtuous human being if you don't have knowledge. It's impossible to be prudent if you don't have some form of wisdom. And at least the base biological knowledge about, say, for example, the women's fertility cycles is incredibly important. It's not to say you need to know the science behind what's going down at like a, a genetic level, if you will. Um, but people thousands of years ago would have known this, if you will. The, the menstrual cycle is obvious enough that you can at least know that much. And if you're that out of tune with your wife, then you can't possibly be related to her virtuously because you're out of touch with reality. So NFP and the knowledge about biology and getting back into a, an intimate understanding of the married life, the married relationship, if you will, is what enables you to be virtuous. It, it also enables you to be really unvirtuous, if you will. Um, knowledge in a lot of ways is, is kind of, I don't want to say entirely, but it's kind of amorphous. You can use your knowledge for good or for evil. All right. So I want to get clear on like, how does it enable you to be virtuous? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because... For somebody who is charting out, you're trying, you're already intending, okay, I, I can't have a kid at this point, right? And how are you making, how is the person making that judgment, right? So they, so assuming they're using natural family planning, not using artificial, artificial contraception rather. Yep. yep. Um, like, is it okay? Well, it would cost a lot of money. And so, you know, having a kid costs a lot of money. Uh, I don't think I can have a kid right now. And they make it with some type of financial judgment. Sure. Right. Um, and that's that's at what part point of does it, that become you... like uh you're just you know, like you have a greed motive instead of being open to life and open to having more kids or whatever, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just being like, Well, look, I could either lease a BMW or have to pay for hospital bills. Correct. That's... Right. So if you're pursuing that type of knowledge for that end, that doesn't seem like for virtuous decisions. So this is precisely my point. You can use knowledge for good or for ill. Knowledge doesn't make you virtuous. It either enables you to be virtuous or it's going to be held against you when you're damned, as it will be, I think, in the case of the person who chooses the BMW in that case. Um, but it sounds like we, we agree, at least on this fundamental level, right? That NFP, insofar as it conforms to what we already articulated to be the norm of responsible, virtuous parenthood that Pope Paul VI talks about in Humanae Vitae, um, is, a, is a praiseworthy incarnation of virtue in the married life, and it should be commended. But and this is my contention, and maybe we're a nation I start to agree more and more. I think that NFP is often misapplied in practice as a form of Catholic contraception that's inimical to a true Catholic understanding of love and marriage. And moreover, that NFP seems very frequently to be taught as if it were a substitute, like, like a technological method that you can insert into your married life instead of virtue. And it's invoked to justify an anti-Catholic life and worldview that it amounts to little more than an attempt to make love and virtue a technique or a method that you just apply as a salve of some kind and it does away with responsible parenthood. Okay, so that's what I've heard mostly from Nash as well, that it promotes this type of like contraceptive mentality. Like yeah. I know how many kids I want to have and therefore, uh, you know, I'll make those decisions. I won't, you know, it's uh, not being open to life and it promotes that type of mentality and ends up becoming Catholic contraception. Yes, That's what I've yes, heard generally. Yes, exactly. Right. So, so maybe, I haven't heard the original intention of of this part part of it. Let's maybe, go back to the yeah. document itself then. I'm going to read to you right now from Umane Vitae, paragraph 10, which is the subset of responsible parenthood. Um, Paul VI here goes into a lot, but we'll focus on three applications of responsible parenthood. Um, he articulates a biological one, a drives an emotional application, and a circumstantial one. I'm going to quote, with regard to the biological processes, responsible parenthood means an awareness of and respect for their proper functions. In the procreative faculty, the human mind discerns biological laws that apply to the human person. 
So pretty basic, if you will, simply understanding these sorts of things. Um, responsible parenthood is an awareness of and respect for the nature of the human being. Simple, cut, and dry. Further, with regard to man's innate drives and emotions, responsible parenthood means that man's reason and will must exert control over them. So this is the classic Thomistic approach that we've discussed some before, that you have to, as a rational human being, order the irrational appetites within you, the desires and the will and the things which would seek to boil over. You must order them according to reason and prudence. Simple enough again. And thirdly, this is the one that we were talking about earlier. You were asking questions about finances, for example. Pope Paul VI says, with regard to physical, economic, psychological, and social conditions, responsible parenthood is exercised by those who prudently and generously decide to have more children and by those who, for some serious reason and with due respect for moral precepts, decide not to have additional children, either for a certain or an indefinite period of time. That's what I heard. Serious reason. Yes. Right? And that's that's where I think rubber hits the road in terms of these arguments. That is where rubber hits the road. Okay. So serious reason. How do you how do you define that? Right? So, I mean, we had the BMW case, but I mean, it could just be the same of like medical school or something like that. Does that, would that constitute a serious reason? Would... Um, so this is one that Nash brought up. Like he said, I think NFPs pretty much wrong in general, uh, even including like he said, okay, if the, if the, uh, if, if the wife has like a serious medical condition where if she gets pregnant, it could cost her her life or whatever. Yeah. Um, he said, even he said at that point, then I think NFP possibly could be, uh, permissible, but so he says, I, I would disagree besides with besides that. He said, there's, Almost very, there's so very few serious reasons. Like he reserves it for like medical conditions and whatever else. This right. is Nash, uh, Athanasius's position on this. Um, so there, so there, how, there how wide approaches. is serious reason? Serious reason is there, there are two approaches to serious reason. The first is the natural and objective moral order of the Catholic faith. And the second is the individual application of those moral laws to a particular instantiation in, in someone's life. Um, so you move from principle to practice, if you will. Um, and you would have to look at it both ways, which is why a lot of these hypothetical questions are really hard to answer, because what else is going on? Um, at a moral level, you could say, yeah, contraception is always bad, if you will. Avoiding children from material wealth is also bad, but then you got to define those terms. What do you mean by avoiding children? And what do you mean by material wealth? You can get into that further and further. Um, let me finish. I just avoid <clears throat> children in general. Just, yeah, just I'm sure you're good. No. So you'll like what we just quoted from Paul VI were the three basic applications, if you will, of responsible parenthood to these areas of human life, to biology, to drives and emotions, and to your circumstances. But he concludes the passage on responsible parenthood with what he calls an essential aspect of paramount importance. And I quote here, and this is where the rubber hits the road in your words. It concerns the objective moral order which was established by God and of which a right conscience is the true interpreter. In a word, the exercise of responsible parenthood requires that husband and wife, keeping a right order of priorities, recognize their duties towards God, themselves, their families, and human societies. From this, it follows they are not free to act as they choose in the service of transmitting life, as if it were wholly up to them to decide which course is right to follow. On the contrary, they are bound to ensure that what they do corresponds to the will of God the Creator. The very nature of marriage and its use makes his will clear, while the constant teaching of the church spells this out. So that's huge. The part that you are not free to determine what you do is what people chafe against. And I think that's where Nash is getting at. He doesn't want people to have that freedom, if you will, which sounds awful, right? Especially to our modern sensibilities. But no, I think he's correct in this particular way that 
moderns like you and I and everyone else in this day and age are enamored with the liberal idea of freedom, which is totally unconstrained Kantian type autonomy. I can do whatever I want, however I want, and I can be judged against that. That no one, no thing, no how can impose a limit on my own self-determination. And this is exactly the church trying to tell you, yes, we can. God can. We are. There's a more, you can't decide, if you will, what's a serious reason, what's a grave cause. Those exist objectively, and it's your duty to respond to them appropriately. Same with the priorities. That's a huge point. The whole notion of the Catholic hierarchy of goods is what NFP is ordered to. It's trying to reintegrate, if you will, our understanding of what life should be about, what's good, what's not, what's important, what isn't. And we've forgotten in a lot of ways that children are probably the most important thing that we can do with our lives. If you choose to get married, the most important thing that you're going to do as a married man or woman is bring holy men and women into this world. And failure to do that, failure to prioritize that will be held against you more than anything else will on Judgment Day. So there's like an element of, well, like you're saying, you're not in total control over the children that God wants to give you. Is that kind of the principle, right? If you've ch- if you've chosen to get married and you know, you're you're uh, you're open to life, then you're open to the children that God gives you as a responsible parent. And when you start trying to, uh, you know, say, well, I it's my freedom and I can determine how many children I want out of that. That's when, you know, it's it becomes an evil thing. Is that is that the basic argument? Certainly, that that's okay. that's a, not a bad. And way because to put the it. liberal our, our way of thinking of liberty and stuff is children are not a you know a. A benefit or something. They're they're a hindrance to freedoms. They're a hindrance. They're, they're to an economic burden in a lot of ways. <laughs> right, and they are. <laughs> you could get a nice shiny BMW uh, instead of hospital bills. Right. You can ride it right to hell. <laughs> ride it uh, in four wheel drive with a souped up engine. But here I find I, I have to say this because I certainly can imagine an ordinary and intelligent viewer who's listening to this. If I were listening to this at this point, I'd be really cautious about whatever is coming out of the person sitting in my chair's mouth, which is it seems as though I'm defending the view that Catholics should just have as many children as possible at all costs. And that's wrong. NFP is against that. The Catholic Church is against that. Um, if you've never seen this, don't ever see it. But there's the Monty Python skit, Every Sperm is Sacred, right? <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. It's pretty... For those of you listening, don't watch it. Um, <laughs> it's not worth doing so. But but that articulates, if you will, or shows, I dare not even use the word articulate. It's a bastardization <laughs> of the, this idea. Is that, that the one where he, like, it's, it's the, uh, he, the Protestant the, husband and wife? The Protestant husband and, and like, wife. And they won't even touch each other in the, like, the Catholic house. And it's like, and the Catholic comes home there. and they've got tons of children yeah, and they yeah, have to sell I've them off it. to the mines because they don't to have To our less intelligent viewers, go, go look it up. <laughs> Watch but your yeah, souls. so I mean, that's well, what so, people but that's, think that's about what, That's NFP what the stuff, world yeah. thinks the Catholic view is. And many people herald NFP as like, oh, that's what's going to safeguard us from just having so many children, if you will. And that, that there's this principle of totality that you just have to have more and more and more children. Catholic families are just baby-making machines. That isn't correct. That's never what the church has taught. And that isn't what NFP is articulating. And it's not what I'm articulating, nor what I'm defending. Um, so I make the joke about driving your BMW to hell, right? Um, but you can certainly get to hell other ways. And a BMW is not necessarily the way to do it. What I mean by that is if you disorder your life such that your priorities are out of whack, you no longer live your life in accordance with the objective hierarchy of goods articulated by the Catholic Church um, and known to natural human reason, then you are going to be in a really sticky situation when it comes to trying to plan your family. Um, which is why I make the argument that NFP 
isn't in and of itself something to be concerned about. The difficulty is when it's taken by people who have an otherwise secular worldview and they try and live it as if they were Catholics when they're not actually Catholics. Um, that, that's where that's where the problems begin. Um, the example that you gave of a couple in medical school may or may not be a good example. Um, it depends on a lot of other particulars, if you will. Think, think in this way, right? If your life is not Catholic, it's not properly ordered to Christ as the transcendent end, um, then NFP comes, becomes very, very dangerous because it allows married couples to slip into destructive mentalities about life, children, sex, God, material well-being, all of that. While consciously they think they're practicing Catholic sexual ethics, subconsciously they're actually living something that's antithetical to Catholic sexual ethics, and that tension will tear them apart. Hmm. Let's bring it really practical, all right? So the couple... Uh, let's just use, <laughs> no, I shouldn't use real life examples, but maybe not. Uh, let, let's say, okay, couples wanting to get married, they're at a NFP class for their, in their diocese or whatever that they have to take before uh, wedding day. Um, what should, what should they be aware of when they're taking this class that they can, you know, avoid if you think NFP can be wrongly applied, like what should they be looking for thinking like, okay, well, I need to not get in what, like a contraceptive mentality or a worldliness, like give me a practical, uh, what, what should they be thinking about what they're learning in NFP? The best practicals that I can find for you, if you will, would be the practicals that you get from scripture. So if you were to keep maybe these precepts in mind, you'd be in a really good place. Um, what was it? Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew 4. You're going to be poor, not, right? If you're going to be a Catholic you're, uh, and you're going to have a lot of kids, you're just going to be poor. It's going to be what it is. But I'm serious. And I, I don't mean, I don't mean that show. you should be poor, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. You, this no, I, this I, is I, part I of, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll articulate in a minute maybe a fuller idea of what the Catholic vision is because I've talked a lot about that. I haven't articulated it. Um, but but really, the, the gospel precepts about riches, about wealth and that sort of thing, um, Matthew 19, it's easier for a uh, camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the parable of the rich man with two barns and he hears from God, you fool, this very night you will meet your maker. Those things you have stored up, where will they be? Um, and Jesus talks all the time of where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. You cannot serve two masters and whatnot. It's very clear and very simple. Yeah. Um, and if you were to Could keep, I bring an example? Yeah, like Dr. Jones brought it up in class. Like he has a bunch of kids. I don't know how many kids he has. Like eight, eight, eight kids, right? He said, having a big family is a natural remedy to greed. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Like, that's a really cool thought. I mean, okay, so my my family, like my dad makes good money, but uh, if he didn't have 11 kids to support, I mean, he could be doing whatever he wanted to do, right? right? Like five BMWs or whatever. But he has specifically, you know, uh, he, he even said, like, Lord, if you let me run my own business, I'm going to go to daily mass. I'm going to go to mass every day. And he's kept up with that. Wow. And- and, um, but he, it's a big sacrifice. I mean, it, it takes a lot of money, especially in our day and age to have lots of kids, right? Because the cultural expectation is two kids, three kids, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And we're set up not for even a system that like anymore. That. And then, you know, all your savings go to sending them to Franciscan university. Right. Although we're, we're a little bit less than, uh, in terms of uh, how much it costs and like Notre Dame or something. But when you have a culture that you got to pay for their school all the way up, you got to, pay for all their sports and what they're doing. You got to pay for raising them, feeding them, all sorts of stuff, and then sending them to college. Like like you're saying, it really is, and you're going to have to work harder too to provide for your family. And and if it was just you and your wife, right? Because like, we have those, there's a huge movement of the the childless 
uh, marriages and stuff. I mean, it's yeah. been going on for yeah. a while, but like people promote it. They think this is fantastic. You know, you get married, but never intend to have any kids. Well, I mean, this gets into it's like promoted at a pop culture level, yeah. but you'll be very interested to know that there's a number of very influential and important sociologists, economists, political theorists, and that sort of thing who are not Catholic who are taking a look at the world and going, there's an epidemic, if you will, of childlessness and it needs to stop now. Like our civilization, if you will, is threatened by childlessness and we need to amend that. People need to get married. People need to have children. And they're not making arguments for the Catholic worldview. They're simply making the argument that Aristotle made thousands of years ago. Like, listen, the family is the seedbed of civilization. If it goes, we go. Civilization goes with it. Have children. Um, but you make a lot of good points, and I think that there are a lot of intelligent Catholics who listen to that sort of thing, and they make and they think, well, how am I supposed to prudently discern how many kids I'm supposed to have, given all these other things I have to juggle in, in married life, if you will, or the life in the modern world today? Does um, the how many have like a number, though? It seems to be you judge according to your particular circumstance as, you know, as, as it's a temporally based correct. argument, correct. right? It's, okay, well, I'm in medical school right now. Uh, I can or cannot have a kid. And then you make a judgment there and then maybe you use natural family planning as a, a Catholic. But if, let's say you said before, like, I want to have four children, right? And then that's it beforehand. Would would there be a problem with that or would that be okay according there, to this? There's not strictly speaking a problem with that, right? Um, the, I say strictly speaking because you could imagine some hypothetical circumstance in which there is a problem, right? Um, it's not in my interest right now to draw one out, but you could theoretically do so. Um, I don't think there's a problem with doing that. I also don't think there's any reason why you should do that, so to speak. If you want to, you're welcome to, but if you don't feel inclined to, there's no need to. The church has never, and I don't think that the church ever will, except in some imaginably totalitarian dire circumstance of some kind. The church has not and probably will not articulate an ideal number of children for a family. It doesn't exist because you're right. It's particular to the individual couple um, and you ought to discern in your own circumstance. However, the church does have a guiding principle that everyone ought to employ, and that is generosity. If you can stand before the Lord at the end of your life and say, Lord, I describe the number of children I had to you as generous, proportionate to my means in my life, then you're good. If you have any difficulty with that, or if a reasonable person can question whether or not you've been generous with your children, you should question that. You should question the rest of your life. And I think that's where, this is another example of where we get into the application of NFP in people's lives where they think, listen, I've got other things to figure out first, right? I'm getting married. I think I'm going to wait three years to have kids because I want to be financially stable. want a house with a white picket fence and two cars, and my wife needs to move up the corporate ladder some and whatnot. No. That's wrong. You've missed something incredibly important, which is to say that the hierarchy of goods in your own life, the articulation of a Catholic worldview and the living of it is disordered, and that everything which follows from that is going to be worse off than before. Aquinas parrots Aristotle in saying that a small error in degree at the beginning is a large error in degree at the end. Mm. Um, you, know, you begin, even just in a simple mathematical sense, that's true. And if you were to get your principles wrong, especially at the beginning of something as important as marriage and try and live your life out beyond that, it will not work successfully for you, short of a paradigm shift, which is maybe what I'm arguing for here. We need a paradigm shift as far as how we think about NFP is concerned. And the paradigm shift is a return to an authentic Catholic worldview. Hmm. And let's talk about like big families, right? I mean, that's one of the determining, well, I mean, today, two or three children is the norm, right? Um, but you're having Catholic families. Uh, like if if you have a big family and someone sees you have a big family, like, whoa, you have a big family. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of kids and stuff. Yeah, Second yeah. question, 
are you Mormon? <laughs> and then if they're more attuned, they say, are you Catholic? What a shame. We've no, given, yeah. we've given we, we big families to the place. Mormons. We've got third place. After Mormon, they say Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, it, it like, uh, with this, having big families, uh, obviously, we, we think that's a good thing in the Catholic worldview. Yeah. Right? Because, Agreed. Um, that's always been the Catholic idea. That's always been the Catholic Children idea. Children are, and this comes exactly from... Gaudium et Spes, Vatican II Council. Children are the supreme gift of marriage. Without underestimating the other goods of true married love, the whole structure of life which results from family life is directed to disposing spouses to cooperate valiantly with the Creator and Savior, who through them will increase and enrich his family from day to day. The supreme good of marriage. Okay, here's a qualm. I'll push back on this with NFP. It seems to buy into the cultural notion you should have less children. I would agree, colloquially that people use NFP in that way, that they have that kind right. of mentality behind it. And it's taught at the parish level. Like, I mean, right. there's stories there's back from the 80s and 90s where like, people would say, even if they confessed that they used artificial contraception, like priests would be like, that's not a sin. Don't worry about that. Well, right. And obviously that's wrong, right? right. But, but NFP seems to be, when it gets applied, it seems to be like buying into the cultural notion you should have less children. Yes. And I when it gets agree. presented that way, obviously that's, that's wrong. So I want to read to you real quick. Because I mean, first command of God, like the first thing he said, be fruitful, multiply. Right. Like right. that's a, I think we should really like multiply. And also the Psalms, um, you know, blessed is the man who have, has his quiver full of uh, the arrows of having sons, right? Uh, and quiver holds 12. So having 12 children, you're blessed. You have your quiver full. Um, I also, this was a, just a conservative political commentator, but I think they were dealing with the because um, I don't know if you heard out of Virginia they had the third trimester abortion thing. I don't know if you've heard about this, but anyways, he was saying uh, no one looks back at the end of their life and says, "I wish I had less children." Right. Like I, I think that principle should also be at play. Like I, I agree, and that that's why the the only guiding principle that the church gives, uh, aside from prudence, but prudence is the ordinary, it's the preeminent Christian virtue that ought to guide all of our lives and everything. The specifying principle that the church gives to married couples is that the norm guiding how many children you have is generosity. That's how it should be. And I think that it's precisely because generosity is the guiding norm and that we're, we tend to be selfish modern people that you're right. People use NFP as Catholic contraception. Let me read you something from John Paul II, actually, which will, which will sound a little bit raunchy almost, if you will, especially to modern sensibility about NFP. He says here, that there is an intrinsic connection between science and moral virtue, and this constitutes the specific and morally qualifying element for recourse to natural methods. That sounds really complex. All that he really means is that science and morality are not two separate things. You can't categorize them, if you will. They're related and interconnected, and that the morality of a particular act will also have to do with the, the science or the reality of the particular act. He says, it should be clear that what is of concern here, and he's talking about NFP, It should be clear that what is of concern regarding NFP is more than just simple instruction divorced from the moral values proper to teaching people about love. In short, NFP allows people to see that it is not possible to practice natural methods as licit variation of the desire to be close to life. That's a big word. Let's break that down for a second. He's saying that NFP is not something that you can use. He says, in fact, it's not possible to practice these natural methods as if they were a licit way to decide to be close to life. 
which a lot of people do. And here John Paul Dustin comes right and goes, no, that's absolutely a way to be close to life. People will that, take it that I way. I mean, isn't that the general idea, though? No, no, no. I mean, no, it no, seems no. to be, well, I'm saying at the practical level, like taught in the parish oh, yes, I'm sorry. is just so, a licit yes. way to be close to life. I think that that's the error people I mean, make. we have to view these things that, within- That's an error. Yes, yes, but we do have to view these things within the cultural pressure. Because the cultural pressure is, look, you're- your life isn't for your family. It's for your individual pursuit of happiness. Right. Right. And so if children are, are going to be an impediment to that, then have less. Right. And, and when you have a huge family, people are like, that's weird. That's, that's strange because somehow you're limiting your freedom. You're limiting your happiness. So practically when it gets taught in, in our liberal societies, almost certainly it seems to be a licit form of being close to life. Yes, I agree. And that's why my argument here is not that we need a a new method, a new technique or anything like that. There's nothing wrong as far as NFP is concerned there. But to truly evangelize, if you will, to bring the truth of what NFP ought to be to people, you need to re-educate them into a Catholic worldview. There's no other way around it because the modern worldview, as you mentioned very eloquently, is totally antithetical to it. It's 100% diametrically 180 degrees opposed to the Catholic view. Um, but on a practical note, like yeah. the only thing, well, the thing to get get you out of that is that serious reason clause. Sure. Right, you shouldn't do this. It, it's saying you shouldn't do this with, uh, without a serious reason. What is to. this though? It, you shouldn't be charting, planning fertility stuff, so that's, whatever. That, that's actually without inaccurate. a serious reason. That's actually inaccurate. Okay, um, okay. And, and, I misunderstood that. No, that's okay. Um, it's it's a common misunderstanding. So charting and planning, if you will, um, are not simply like you mark on the calendar days where you don't have sex because it's possible you have a baby. That's not what that means. Um, and if you're using it that way, you have a really horribly abused version of what plotting and charting ought to be. Um, it's in the same way that a lot of women may track their menstrual cycle prior to getting married because there are biological impacts of the female sexual cycle that go beyond whether or not you're having a child. And that the plotting and rhythm and that sort of thing is used also to achieve childbirth, not just to um, avoid childbirth. Um, so people who are struggling with fertility often find that they have greater success in achieving um, pregnancy if they follow the charting method and whatnot because it allows them to understand the rhythms that God built into female human nature better. And this is part of the point we're talking about knowledge, right? It allows them to be more virtuous human beings, to better conform to the church's call to be generous with the number of children they have if they understand how to do it. And a lot of us don't know how to do that. Why would you know how to do that? Um, we have some innate desires and drives. No one has an innate like understanding of the women's like fertility cycle. That, that needs to be learned. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. But you're right. That can be abused. And I, but again, I come back to, I think that that abuse is indicative of someone who has misunderstood the Catholic vision of life. Um, Gaudium et Spes puts it really well. Um, it's also in the Catechism, uh, paragraph 200, sorry, 2,366, just quoting scripture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And they use this to support a really interesting claim here, which I think would be well to preface or maybe subtitle every NFP class fecundity, that is to say, like life-givingness, is an end of marriage. Material prosperity and financial independence are not, <laughs> yeah. which is a great way to put it. And so in a really simple level, right, you've got the three goods of marriage, fides, proles, and sacramentum, sacramentum in the Catholic sense. Um, and you'll notice that if you have anything that in your life that's more important than those goods, something's wrong. Those are the preeminent goods, if you will. And the only reason why you could pursue on the surface another good instead of them is if it's actually in surface 
or actually in service of those goods. So breaking that down a little bit, you might, for example, choose not to have a sixth child. You have five children, let's say, and you choose not to have a sixth child because at the moment that seems imprudent to you based on a number of reasons, financially, economically, your wife's health, um, the fact that you're trying to homeschool kids, et cetera. And three years later, things change and you have a sixth child, right? So it was not as though during those three years, suddenly something became more important than children. That's not correct. It's that in service of the children you already have, it would have been unjust to try and bring another one into the world because you couldn't possibly. Uh, I want to dispute. Okay, so, so I'll, I'll use might. a practical that, example. That, that's, of, that's a hypothetical. Yeah, it's so, a hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll give a practical. So Go for my it. family, um, so the fifth child, Sophia, uh, my uh, my parents, right, my mom conceived uh, in a, re- we were in a really bad financial position. I only knew about this later because I was, I was really young. But um, my dad had left his job and had decided to strike it out on his own with his own business. It's been successful now, but at the at the time, it was really bad. Yeah, and super bad financial. Like, it was just not a good time. But they never did charting any of this type of stuff because they just didn't believe it. And they had Sophia, and um, it was still a really rough time. But they made it through. They were faithful, made it through. And I think if they were, if they had been taught this NFP stuff and had been promoted it, they may have chosen not to have a fifth child at mm-hmm. the time. Now, looking back, re- looking at it, let's say from an objective standard, kind of standing outside of it, you know, we could dispute whether or not uh, it was prudent at the time, whatever else. But it's it's almost like a consequentialist type argument because you really can't tell what the, the consequence. So you can't like know what the result is going to be. Mm-hmm. You can't know that this actually is a bad financial time for you to have because you you don't know what you know provisions the Lord will provide if you have the child. And uh, it it seems yes, to I me, agree. it seems to me really, it seems to me like we're throwing like tons and tons of bones to the culture by even having these type of conversations of NFP can be properly used. Mm-hmm. Like I I'm almost on the wholesale. Let's just reject it. Just get rid of this. Because it's it's uh, it's totally promoting a mentality of oh well I'm doing bad times financially I know for certain I can't have a child there's never a a moment of certainty you could take this with marriage uh, like we had Matt Frad over and um, we actually went out to lunch and stuff and they were asking him like you know when's a good time to get married like should you wait till you're stable he's like as soon as you can. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree. Like, like the phenomenal. younger, the better. The younger, right? the better. Uh, we know um, uh, Philip Rivers is a. Uh, we knew him from church. Uh, you know the football quarterback, right? So he got married to his wife, and they were eighteen. Wow! While he was going to NC State, and they have hometown. Eight, eight, yeah, NC State's great. Yeah, he's uh, he was a quarterback there. And they have like what eight, nine kids now, Gabe. I don't know. They got quite a bit. Got quite a bit. That's that's the <laughs> quote. Um, now, at the time, like, oh, you're being unreasonable. You're being whatever. But, but they were faithful. Maybe not. And let's let's add another thing to it is we're the most financially stable and successful country in the world. America is the best. Yeah. Right? America yeah. first. Okay. Uh, you know, I did some travels in Africa and stuff. And now they're promoting a bunch of contraception. But still, they, they, uh, they have tons of kids and they're not like financially well off or you we would say yeah. oh well this is a bad thing they're having all these kids and stuff i just i while we're talking about all this i think it's like we're throwing so much bones to the secular culture and and giving them so much ground by even having it as an option for catholics to be like 
well, you know, you're not having a contraceptive mentality, but here, let me give you some like ways to chart to make sure you don't have a, a child. Well, that is a contraceptive mentality is what I would say. Um, I, I firmly agree with everything that you've said, and I have found myself more than once articulating those very claims myself. I'm not here defending their opposite. I don't disagree with you. I think that you're correct in saying that a lot of the fault for that sort of mentality that pervades in the Catholic Church can be attributed to the teaching of NFP, at least certainly on a parochial level and in a lot of individual cases. What I'm arguing here, at least, is that properly understood, that is an NFP, and that NFP is actually a lot more morally serious, that conforms to the church in a lot more respectable way than we usually give it credit for. Um, so I don't want this to be misunderstood as a defense of NFP as you've articulated it, because I agree. Yeah. Stand shoulder to shoulder with you. That's a huge problem. And I'm trying to counter that problem by saying, listen, NFP is a thing that exists and it's big and it's out there and it's already in force, if you will. And it's not at heart a bad thing. So let's get back to the heart of it. Eradicate the kind of uh, the growths that have come on top of it, the corruptions that you've articulated, and get back to the essence of Catholic social teaching, Catholic right. sexual ethics at the heart of the family. My my just and I could be totally wrong about this, but just my gut reaction to this is the properly understood is more dangerous than just not teaching it at all. Maybe, but I would say if you don't teach it at all, who is going to teach them? The culture or cultural human beings. And if you don't provide some sort of teaching, you are going to lead your flock astray as far okay, as so is concerned. Meaning if you don't provide an alternative to artificial contraception? Maybe. That, that's, a, that's a good because example. Because that seems to me that. to be the, but the, I, the I, I mean, I mean, culturally. Artificial contraception is huge, but I think it's a, it's a worldview question as well. So everything that you brought up about material prosperity is excellent. Um, and you'll be, you might be surprised to know, and a lot of people would be surprised to know, that this comes directly from an NFP mandate. Quote, parents will remind themselves that it is certainly less serious to deny their children certain material advantages than it is to deprive them of the presence of brothers and sisters who could help them grow in humanity and realize the beauty of life at all ages and all its variety, end quote. That's super solid. That's right. in line with everything that we were just saying. Ah, and that is just, at heart what NFP is going for. I don't know, like the well, whole thing of like... What, what part of... Parents will remind themselves that it is certainly less serious to deny their children certain material advantages than to deny them brothers and sisters is dangerous no, I know, to but, you. Sorry, the whole the whole principle. I totally agree. Yeah, I, it's I'm great. with you. Yeah, well, sorry, just had to push it. But just the dangerous the dangerous element of like properly understood that there has to be serious reason that it can't just be I just don't want to have kids so I can have BMW. Like, yeah, it's so hard to articulate that well. And to, because you, you got to like take an ice pick to the whole cultural mindset regarding children, family, the whole thing. Yeah, but what and part about the Catholic life in, don't we have to do that with? Well, I totally agree. I'm saying at a practical, parochial, you know, you're yeah. in your your parish level, uh, <laughs> to focus on the cultural mindset of uh, having children, family, that like the procreative stuff, that should be the primary. And the NFP yeah. stuff should be like, if there's a serious reason, here you can do this, but you realize but here and, come and, consult the priest but in order to NFP do that. NFP is also procreative. Is the is this point? And I think you're articulating okay, really okay. well. And I, I hate to I hate to say it this way, but you know I mean it charitably. Your very ignorance on the topic is super useful to this discussion because you are articulating the ordinary approach that a lot of people have to NFP, and I think that's the approach that's wrong. That's a misunderstanding. NFP is not the oh when you want to be non procreative. Here's what you do in the bedroom. That isn't that isn't the approach. Although I'm saying not even, not in essence, but in practicality right. for for us who are 
you know, such highbrow intellectuals who can just sit and talk for two hours, you know, on topics that neither apply to us at this point in time. Uh, I think it does. <laughs> like we should know for, these for, things. You know, the average Catholic who, you know, whether or not they went to college or they they can really understand this stuff or they're paying attention in their NFP class, I just feel like it's always going to come off as Catholic-approved contraception, and it, and and I I find that danger to be worse than just trying to just focus on the cultural mindset with regards to family and stuff and say, look, the Catholic mindset is be generous. The Catholic mindset is have lots of children. And I know it's a, you but, know, but, it's not an easy yeah. thing to go against the culture in that way. And we have to realize we have to support Catholic families. That is NFP is what I'm saying. We only think of NFP in the modern world as if it were the negative thing, as if it were the what you do when you don't want kids. That's half the story. The other half, as a matter of fact, I would say it's more than half the story. Only NFP is only used to avoid children in the the periods when you're not having kids, and that you ought to return to periods of having kids is the whole idea. It's ordered toward generosity, and that it's just understanding that hey, listen, there are certain points in time in human life, according to various circumstances, according to various biological, economic, financial, socioeconomical, physiological, physical reasons that you maybe not be able to have a kid. We get it. We understand. Life's like that. And we're not even arguing that you should have as many kids as is physically possible to begin with, because as a responsible parent, notice how it doesn't say a generative parent, right? Like your role is to produce as many. Whoever produces the most wins or is the holiest. That's not the idea. Responsible parenthood. Where does responsibility come in it versus serious reason? Because I thought it was clarified by serious reason, but not like when you put it responsible, then you put it more on the well, you can decide on your own. Serious reason means like you need to justify the fact why you need to use this. Yeah, and I, I think you're right that the serious reason clause is where we get caught up. And actually, Janet Smith talks a lot about this, and she's been really important on the translation because the original Latin for serious reason is stiris cause. It translates almost directly to grave reason. And a lot of people interpreted this as like, listen, you can only practice the negative side of NFP. By negative side, I mean the non-having kids approach. So there's the positive, which is we're trying to achieve pregnancy, and the negative, we're trying to avoid pregnancy. Negative doesn't here mean bad. It's just what you're aiming for. Um, People would basically make the argument that, listen, you could only use the negative aspect of NFP if you've got like one foot in the grave kind of thing. And Janet Smith goes, listen, that that isn't quite right. Mm -hmm. That you can actually have, and I think that she's right, a just cause, maybe more than serious, just gets to the heart of the matter a little bit better than serious does, that your cause must be defensible in light of natural law, the moral law revealed by the church, the precepts and principles that she articulates, in light of the aim of human life, which is union with God, in light of the order of marriage, which is the procreation education of children, and in light of the principle that the Catholic Church articulates that ought to guide the number of children you have, generosity. And as long as you can justify your claim to be free from the obligation to have another child at the moment because it serves those goods better not to, then you are all right. By the way, I find this, I came into this podcast thinking I was going to be the one trying to like, uh, you know, convince you of like NFP, may we work sometimes and then be the pushback. And now I'm the one who's pushing back on like, because I'm just so concerned about how it comes off to the average Catholic. And um, like, imagine, so we're teaching all Catholics, it's, you have to go to NFP class, you have to learn this stuff, you have to know this stuff. Uh, Regardless of you, you, let's say a couple just wants to enter into marriage and say, we're open, we're generous, as many kids as as God wants to give us. Beautiful. Thanks be to God. Like, why isn't that the norm? And then let's say- That is is the norm. See, but okay, well, let me, let me just put it this way. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. 
why don't we reserve NFP for, hey, if you think you have a serious reason, reach out to your priest or to the marriage counselor for the diocese or something and go to them and say, look, I have a serious reason. Okay, we're both in medical school and you reach out and say, how can I do this in a good Catholic way? And then they give you the information. Why require it up front? Because then it comes off as don't be generous. Precisely because NFP is not merely negative. You're making the assumption that NFP is only something that you employ when you're trying to avoid children. NFP is often understood that way. I agree. And if that's all it were, I'd be right there with you singing, listen, we Oh, no, I'm in agreement. This. What I'm saying is practically when it, it comes off as, in general, because our culture is so corrupted, because the, the air we breathe is have less children, be individually fulfilling. Uh, so when the church... Uh, so the uninformed Catholic who has to go to marriage counseling classes will get the wrong impression of NFP. And maybe, I think maybe, it can be properly yeah. applied for serious reason. And I think the church is encouraging that by requiring NFP classes for everyone. I, going I, to marriage I counseling. think that that is probably culturally the case in a lot of ways. And you'll be interested to know that as early as 1951, um, Pius Twelfth issued an address to the Italian Catholic Union of Midwives. And the entire purpose of the address was to warn against the selfish use of NFP. 1951, Pope Pius XII, right? So this idea that you're having is not unique to you. Um, it's not singular. It isn't something that is in isolation. Like you're touching on something universal as far as NFP is concerned, which is this. The knowledge that NFP provides can be used for selfish reasons. It's true, mm. but that's not a reason to withhold the information precisely because if you are to withhold information from people in today's day and age, they'll get, they'll work with what they're given, if you will. And what is given in our, in our culture today is worse than the worst possible abuse of NFP. Now, mm. just because NFP is being abused doesn't mean that it needs to be thrown out. It needs to be reformed. Maybe we need to do a hell of a lot better job as far as teaching it is concerned. And we certainly need to return to a more Christian view of life. We need to return to that what Gaudium et Spes is talking about. The idea that brothers and sisters are better off, or your parents are better off giving their children brothers and sisters than anything else that the world can offer. What a beautiful articulation of the Catholic view of things. And if you were to just lead in an NFP class with that, you would articulate the truth of NFP way better than charting does or plotting does. Those, those are material accidents, if you will, of NFP. God designed the human body in, um, in a particular way, and uh, female fertility cycles work like this. It's a fact of nature. So we need to learn that. But it's a material thing that doesn't get to the essence, if you will, of the practice of NFP or of what the Catholic principle ought to be or of or of um, the, the whole virtuous relationship of men and women in the conjugal act and in the act of raising children, which is an extension of the conjugal act. Um, so I, I agree with all your reservations. I really do. I think the answer to the reservations is we need to we need to hit the road running and be serious about living Catholic lives. And we can't allow, if you will, the culture to lead us any more than we can allow simply the church to take, um, which sad though it is, we can't allow the church to take responsibility for our own marriages. If the church offers a crappy NFP class, then it's not on, um, it's not on their shoulders that we sin, if you will. We need to educate ourselves. You're responsible for yourself at the end of the day, and we need to figure that out. Laymen and women, if you will, clerics, priests, bishops, anyone who's involved with NFP, yeah, we need to get back to an ordinary understanding of Catholic human life the way that it used to be articulated. So according to my vast ignorance, uh, but uh, what I've, the little I've read of uh, NFP, um, this seems, to, it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be a modern thing. Uh, like this didn't exist in medieval Christianity. They weren't 
requiring people to go to, you know, ye old NFP classes, right? Yeah. <laughs> John just said they didn't know how babies were made. Uh, True. Yeah, they, they got delivered by the monks. Um, no, so this is something that's like, what was the medieval conception, you know, with the grave reason, whatever, there wasn't. It was like, I need more people in my field, right? So have more children. It's a good well, thing, right? That, that, but that's, that's a cultural instantiation. And the beautiful right. part about Catholicism, especially after the incarnation, is that we have the law of grace, which sanctifies and perfects from within. It comes down to various cultures and various particular circumstances and peoples and that sort of thing, does away with whatever is not in accord with natural law, and whatever is left over that's particular to a people in a time, it sanctifies and elevates by virtue of grace. It's beautiful, and it couldn't be any better than that. But my point there is you can't make an argument that like, hey, listen, the way that Catholic peasants in the 14th century France lived their married lives should be the way that we all live our married lives now. It's like, no, no, no. It's not, it's not quite how that works. No, nah, I'm, I'm you know, 14th century France. No, I, but yeah, but I get, I get what you're saying. So now we're in this modern circumstance, but does it, does it really provide such a distinction that we now we need to introduce NFP? Like having lots of children is, uh, well, I mean, that's what the... That's what the Muslim countries are doing. The third world's continuing to have tons of children, sure. right? And only in our kind of rich, affluent West are we even thinking about, oh, we should only have two children. Uh, there's like pressure to not have big children because it it hinders your individual fulfillment or whatever. Like big families, Catholic big families are a real countercultural symbol. Agreed. And maybe and I don't think we should you. discount that value. I don't think we should either. And what I'm saying is I think NFP doesn't discount that value. Okay. At heart, it doesn't. Um, you might be surprised to hear that NFP purports itself to be a highly effective method of obtaining pregnancy. Okay. That, so if that's you, not that's not the exact opposite. Yeah. We think like, oh, NFP is for avoiding pregnancy. No, no, no. Here's NFP. Reading from it right here. The Art of Natural Family Planning. It's a fourth edition compendium of all kinds of articles and articulations of it. it's 400 pages long. Beautiful book, and it articulates at the very introduction. NFP is a highly effective method of obtaining pregnancy. It's also effective of avoiding pregnancy. It goes both ways. And our failure to focus on the obtaining pregnancy and to ex focus exclusively on avoiding pregnancy is not the fault of NFP. That's the, fault, the fault of the culture of the culture of um, like lukewarm Catholics of people who would really rather be secular materialists, but are trying to be Catholics on the surface of genuinely misunderstood people, if you will, who are going about it and they think that this is right. Um, which again, this is why I think the, the argument here that I'm trying to make is that NFP actually isn't as problematic as we think it is. The deeper that I've gone into it, the problem is our current like Christian vision of the world is really secular and materialist. And so when you try and throw in something as nuanced and Catholic as NFP, we distort it and use it for our secular materialist purposes. And then we blame NFP. That isn't, that isn't correct. Right? So if you're using NFP to avoid children, notice that you're using it. It's a method. NFP is at heart a technique. It's not a philosophy, if you will. Um, the philosophy is Catholic sexual, sexual ethics. The norm is responsible parenthood. The technique is natural family planning. And you can't, like rag on the method or the technique it's just being employed does the it's technique the imply for which a philosophy used. though great question and i'm glad you did i would make the argument no the technique does not imply a philosophy precisely because the women's fertility cycle is ordered towards life it is not ordered against life if you will and so knowing about it, using it, um, potting it or charting it or that sort of thing, the, the meat and bones of the practice of NFP can't possibly imply non-life if the women's entire sexual being is ordered towards life. 
it's about as natural as it gets in some sense. Uh, moreover, I might add in a somewhat vulgar sense, right? Your desires are to engage in the activity that produces life. It's not even like you have to conform your heart to those sorts of things, right? You want as a human being very strongly to engage in generative activity. It's all ordered towards oh, really? life. Okay. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that may have been new to you, Alex. Yeah, no. I desire generative activity. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, uh, that's a good way to put it. Uh, <laughs> thanks John for that. Uh, no, anyways. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying with the positive aspect. You, you want to intend children. I mean, let's talk about the, like having big families as a cultural symbol of the fact that we want to have marriages. Catholics, uh, the Catholic church encourages having being generous with your families, being generous with your, that's the principle uh, yes. with your families and, and with how many children you're going to have. Um, I don't think, like I said earlier, we shouldn't discount the cultural impact that really has. I mean, just from my experience with being the oldest of 11, like, uh, you know, rolling up, we have one of those uh, Mercedes Sprinter vans, you know, those like super tall yeah, roof, yeah. like 12 passenger vans or whatever. Uh, but it's it, it instantly tells you that we value family over personal comfort, success, individual yeah. fulfillment, or whatever, because it's, it's, a, awesome. it's, it's like a, it's a sacrament of showing the Catholic view of marriage, right? So, Especially in a culture that's just like, uh, so it, marriage is meant for, you know, the enjoyment of both of the spouses. It's just a better way of living. Um, you know, even the fidelity aspect, like, well, you can get divorced eventually if it doesn't work out, right? Having lots of children and being together is such a huge sign for Catholic, the Catholic view of marriage, family, whatever. Agreed. Yeah. And you're saying NFP can be a positive... No, not even have a can be. Event. It's ordered naturally toward the positive. And okay. even in the negative, it's ordered to the positive. Just like, for example, if you're if you're choosing to avoid having a child at this particular moment, the only justification that you can give for that is it is a better service to my current children that they do not have another brother or sister at this particular moment, right? Which could be if I know that sounds strange, right? Ah, uh, but I cringe hard. at it. I don't know. Like you, you cringe at it only reason, though. Serious right. reason. Serious reason. And you can get into that. It's difficult, right? But there are, in fact, serious reasons that may that may. Is be the there case. ever it's a financial reason? Um, Cause, yeah. Because to my mind, yeah, thinking I think, like I think there can be a financial reason. Um, I don't think any of the financial reasons I have ever heard from my peers are actually just financial reasons. That's what, I, like, I'm saying. Uh, is there a real just financial reason in any of this, John? If you ha you have something, I mean, I'm just remembering something from when I was younger. I heard of in third world countries get a situation where the parents' option is to buy medicine for their infant or food for their older kid. Okay, so he if said you, in third world countries. To avoid that sort of financial situation. That's actually I have limited means for my children. I can't even feed the ones that I have. Excellent point. Got it. So John's saying here, if let's say you have a third world country where literally it, there's not enough food or providing medicine for a sick child or something like that, that point in time. Now, in our first world scenario, <laughs> is there a financial reason of I literally can't feed my kids or I can't provide medicine to a sick child or something like so that? So I think that those arguments that you're making are powerful ones, but those fall into the really strict understanding of grave serious reasons. And I think that those are legitimate. I also think that there are less life-threatening reasons that are justified. Um, and I can't necessarily justify any of them particularly to you now because they would all need to be understood in the totality of a human life. But you could theoretically imagine, right? And this isn't particularly difficult to imagine, um, a family trying to live a really orthodox Catholic life, if you will. The mother is staying 
being home and homeschooling six children. The father is off working. He doesn't spend much time at work because he's more interested in his children and the things he does for the parish. And so he's not high on the corporate ladder. And the means that they have available to them is only sufficient to provide a a, a standard Catholic level of living and education for the five children that they have at the moment. That might change tomorrow. That might change three years down the road. I don't know. But Again, the idea that you should always be having children unless you've got a foot in the grave actually is an argument for that whole totality thing we were mentioning earlier, as though the number of children is the preeminent virtue for married life. And that isn't, in fact, the case. You should be generous. Big families are to be commended. And Pope Paul VI calls out big families explicitly in Humanae Vitae. I'm with you on that. I really am. But I want to avoid any of the listeners thinking that NFP or the Catholic view is that you should have a maximum amount of children. It isn't maximum, it's optimum. Could you say be open to having the maximum amount of children? Sure, but the word maximum worries me because it implies, in some sense, an exhaustion of the means. And that's not what I want to get at here. (laughs) um, Yeah, I I agree, but let's just take, instead of maximum amount of children, just be like, Open to every child that God wants to give. Yes, you should always be. And as a fact, like that—that's—that's that's the backbone of Catholic sexual ethics. That not so only I should your whole marriage, yeah. every individual sexual act needs to remain intrinsically open to life. Right. That—that's the guiding view always. Being open, being generous, having all the kids that God wants you to have. Correct. And then I just—I don't in our first world scenario. Barring like what John was saying about there being a third world, you literally just don't have enough food to support people, your 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 family. Like, I can't think of serious financial reasons. But it's not financial, so to speak, in the material well-being sort of sense, right? Um, it, it's financial is is a really bad way to go about asking the question because I think financial is an attempt to get at economics and economics touches on a whole lot more. So again, the whole web analogy, right? If economics is the web of human life and activity, finances are one strand of that. Um, so there might not, strictly speaking, be a financial reason, if you will, like you don't have money to pay for food or something drastic like that. But you may very well have an economic reason, which is to say that, listen, according to the Catholic mandate to raise and educate our children as best as Catholic men and women can, it would be imprudent for us to add on to that responsibility another child because we as fallen human beings are only capable of doing so much at the moment and we're doing it. You can't ask more of us than that, if you will. And you might grow in virtue. God might grant you more grace. Something may come along. But it's bigger than that. It's not necessarily a, I think a lot of people make this argument and they're presuming like some sort of superhuman prelapsarian virtue on the part of parents, right? Like you could do it, so you should. Hmm. It's like, no, they really might not be able to, man. Like we're all fallen. We're dealing with all sorts of different things. Don't rag on them because you could theoretically imagine some sacrifice they could make to provide for another child. That's individual. That's according to their own virtues, temperaments, talents, dispositions, predispositions, and the sort of things that God has given them. And that's why we can only get at this by way of norms and it, the rest is individual discernment. Right. Man, I, I'm just kind of like giggling in my chair. So I'm like, I literally thought, uh, I think your and Nash's opinions couldn't be more divergent at this point in time. Maybe. When Nash, like, I think, Nash, I, when I was the talk. last time you talked to Nash? Because am I right about this, John? Like, I, I think... Um, yeah, so Nash is pretty anti. I think... Okay. I would imagine Nash and I are probably still on the same page. I've simply done more research and realized that actually 
NFP, as it's rightly understood, is on the same page with Nation I. Like Nation I were like, listen, NFP doesn't conform to Catholic sexual morality and a view of Catholic human life as we know it to be. And then I go and read the original documents. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, it does. Oh my gosh. It's lost in translation. NFP isn't the problem. We've screwed it up. Dude, is this one of those, oh my gosh, scenarios of Vatican II being improperly applied? What? Well, it certainly- it would, <laughs> That's never happened It would before. be the first, so it's hard to imagine, but- That would be the first, yeah. I mean, it, like, oh, well, we were talking the other day about, like, liturgy being improperly implied. Uh, sorry, yeah, applied, yeah. rather. Mm-hmm. Like how Paul VI originally envisioned the Novus Ordo, and then all of a sudden we have, you know, German masses with uh, dancers, liturgical dancers or something, right? <laughs> you just had a big gulp of Lagavulin. By the way, once again, sponsored by Lagavulin, uh, Eile Scotch, 16-year product of Scotland. Uh, yeah, no, we're, I'm, I'm going to say it until they send me free bottles. All right. <laughs> I'm so, until he, well, who doesn't want, in there, who doesn't want Kellen and Alex show, you know, advertising. I mean, we, we reach, you know, 10,000 listeners in this tri-state area. So, uh, but yeah, you guys are awesome by the way. Okay. So this is, this has been a surprise for me, Nick. This has been a real surprise. However, so. it's been, you know, a very encouraging surprise. I'm the thing that I keep going back to is I don't want to, uh, I, I, I see the Catholic family as being generous, as being big families, as being whatever. That's a small minority of Catholic families in the United States. And I think, you know, uh, from polling data and whatever else, most Catholic families use contraceptives, artificial contraceptives, right? Okay. Um, no, we just like know this from the. Yeah, I, I'm not the disease. Yeah. yeah. But like it's. <laughs> Most use that, and so it seems like the Catholic Church is saying, well, we know you already want to have less children, so let me tell you the way that you can do that licitly. And if we take implied, there's like 80-85% of Catholic families use contraceptives, right? In, um, and then once you take that scenario, um, it seems like the real war is the cultural mentality of Big families are awesome. They're a countercultural symbol. You're being open to life, and that's an amazing thing. Like children are a gift from God. All these things seem to be the primary stuff, and I think maybe yeah, we're in agreement on that. Totally. And then when we start focusing now, our listeners are going to be like, "Oh my gosh, they just spent an hour and a half talking about NFP, and now they're going to start talking about the culture war stuff." But I think the culture war stuff has to be the primary stuff, and it also has to be let's go against artificial contraception. Let's tell you about why big families are a great a great thing. Let's tell you why being open to life while being uh, about being generous to life. And then NFP needs to be like the last appendium of appendiums. And it should be in the relationship of, okay, well, you want to know when you're, you're fertile and when you can have kids, here you go. And by the way, if there really is a serious reason then um, for you not to want to have children, then this can be, a, can be licitly used. I, my whole problem is just with the framing of this. So, I, I think yeah. it's like it's taken the position which should be let's be countercultural. Let's be against, let, let's be for family. Let's be for children. Um, now, we focus so, so, on NFP for this whole time. We yeah. could have talked the entire time about culture war of being countercultural. It's all intimately really related. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So it sounds to me in a lot of ways like you're hung up on the phraseology of natural family planning. Because even as you just articulated yes. it, right, you used the negative version, which we've already clarified that there's a positive and a negative, and it's easy to ignore the positive. What if we threw out natural family planning and said like Catholic social ethics, Catholic sexual vision, right? 
You, you, you go to you go to your uh, Catholic social vision or Catholic sexual ethics class every week as you're getting married. Can we just summarize it as be fruitful and multiply? Yeah, but then when someone asks why, how, I'm struggling with the intricacies of a really difficult and messy life because we live in post-fallen world and moreover we live in 21st and century it America. it seems like some type of pill, you know what I mean? Like, well, <laughs> just in the, I, I get it, I get it. I'm pushing yeah. back, okay? So- let, let me, Planning doesn't mean no. Okay, let yes. me read you something, and I wish that I could surprise you with it because it'd be great to have you guess wrong. But this is, <laughs> this is the first sentence from the Na- Art of Natural Family Planning handbook for newlyweds. First sentence. Many newlyweds plan to delay pregnancy until they are well-established financially. They may have a serious need to reflect upon the anti-materialism teachings of Jesus as they are assembled in the Gospel of Luke. Does that sound like That's opposed good. to life with a negative view or like, it seems to me as though what you were just saying, like, Hey man, we need to like focus on big families and whatnot. NFP is like, yeah, right with you. Here's what we're telling new newlyweds. Get rid of your materialism, have children. I like that. As do I. That's why I realized that I like NFP a lot more than I thought I did two years ago. Mm. That's the first sentence. When you were young, Nick, when, when you talked even faster than you do now, that was quite a time, by the way. I hope I'm not doing that, but <laughs> no, no, so, no, no, no. Let you, me, you put Ben Shapiro to shame, dude. It was at uh, it, it was great though. But it, here's the thing: it was like coherent too. It was just on fire. Uh, anyways, you've toned it back a little bit. Carreño has taught me that that's just the divine madness upon me. So <laughs> let me. I think you have a bit of that, you know, divine madness. It it's, comes it's out. Great. Thanks be to God. Grace of the Spirit. I ask for it when I speak. It does, we'll dude. I have already. I mean, I've learned you know tons about this. Well, I mean, the people who are listening, let's say they're not married, they're going to encounter this in their their marriage planning, whatever. Um. Your practical tips when they encounter this, be open to life, see it in a positive way as in trying to encourage you to have big families to, uh, like you said, be responsible. Um, know that you really do have to have a grave reason in the negative sense of not trying not to have children. And it always order to reason. the positive. Order to the positive. Um, yeah. Any others? As a matter of fact, I have five more. That are, that are actually very specific because I know you've been looking at that the whole time. I've been arguing from principles, but we finally got to the place where we can argue some specifics. And I think it'll be really useful, especially anyone listening to this who might be wondering, okay, what do I think about particularly in my own situation? Maybe you're engaged, thinking about getting engaged, married, newly married, been married for a long time. Here, here this comes directly from the book. I've distilled this, if you will, but it's a great compilation of Catholic sexual ethics and Catholic social teaching, if you will, all at once. Here are five things to think about. If you are a married person or thinking about becoming married, number one, natural family planning implores young couples who plan on delaying childbirth until they are more financially established or materially well off to seriously reflect upon the anti-materialism of the gospel. That's number one. If you're thinking about delaying children, you better be sure that you've reflected upon the anti-materialism of the Christian message. And if you can't justify it in terms of that, you need to reevaluate your priorities. Number two, both too little and too much money can be a source of marital stress. The solution is a Christ-focused Christian worldview under which spouses stand by one another no matter what may come. If you have the idea that you need more or less money and that if you just had a little bit more, let's be honest, who thinks I need less money, um, then your problems would be gone. You will always be chasing mammon. It's impossible to catch up with it. And if you can, in some sense, throw it to the wind and ask, give us this day our daily bread, prudently plan for tomorrow, and generously cooperate with God's grace, you'll be in a much better place than anyone who's, if if you will, hyper-focused on preparing for tomorrow. Number three, delaying childbearing is actually a high cause of marital problems early on in relationships. 
The two were made to become one that the one may become three. And delaying that actually tends to separate the two further. Constantly fighting against the unitive aspect of marriage and the generative aspect of marriage will tend to push you apart. Children are as natural a part of marriage as anything else. And that thinking you need to get to know one another better or to establish your careers or to have a nice house or to have money saved in their college fund and that sort of thing prior to it is totally to miss the passage we mentioned earlier. That denying your children, not denying them as in withholding them, but as in choosing to give them instead life, love, brothers and sisters, and a Catholic upbringing is far more important than anything else you could possibly provide for them materially. And more like than not, this is a strong claim, but if you're going to choose to provide them material things over the spiritual things, you may as well be providing them anchors to hell. <laughs> Fourth, I like it. children We've are the natural end of marriage. Yeah, great analogies, right? BMW, anchor to hell. BMW, anchor, that's what the material world can be. They'll tie into point five really well. We'll get there quick. The fourth point is that children are the natural end of marriage. Marriages for family, money, material possessions, corporate status, whatnot, are not. That goes right back to that CCC passage we mentioned, that fecundity. Children are a natural end of marriage. These other things aren't, so you better have them ordered towards that end, right? Mm -hmm. It's not to say you shouldn't have material well-being. It's not to say you shouldn't be financially prudent. In fact, you should. But the idea is that you should have those things precisely so that you can order them towards the benefit of the higher things, namely your children. We invert that all the time. Fifth and finally... We as lay people, those of us who are having sex and children, are called to sanctify the temporal. That is the vocation of the lay person. And this cannot be done if we are tripping over ourselves to assimilate our lives to the secular. Hmm. And if your That's reasons, a good way to put it. it tripping really over ourselves. We'd, we'd like assimilate. to be hip. We'd like to be modern. We'd like to be cool. We'd like to be just like everyone else. We'd like we to be want. as cool as a Kellen Alex show. Sure. I mean, everybody yeah. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? That's why I'm here. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you for being here, by the way. Glad to be here. So those are, yeah. if you will, five things or five really practical principles and reasons to think about and this this would be great fodder for could an you make NFP it a cool discussion acronym? right could uh, you make it a cool acronym I, out could, of I could maybe not on the spot but i could come up with something cool acronym fun. like nfp yeah exactly five principles john if you can yeah yeah, yeah. john five john will come up with five letters but, but so th this is my point right everything that i just listed comes from the teaching of the church as articulated through encyclicals through the Second Vatican Council, through the uh, private published documents of the Pope, through the writings of the saints, through the catechism, through scripture, and which is all articulated and in some sense distilled for the modern man through NFP. That sounds great. Why don't we get together as people who are engaged, say, for example, and meet for our NFP class and try and answer those questions? I just laid out five principles that are really difficult and would provide excellent fodder for conversation between people who are discerning whether or not they want to spend their life together. That sounds exactly like what we should be doing. And I think that's exactly what the church intends by having us have NFP classes. Of course, the problem is now you sit through a really poorly animated, weebly like presentation of some kind that like tries to be hip and cool and modern and like, hey, kids, we get technology and we know that you want to have sex, but it's probably a good idea to like figure out how to have kids by, you know, being financially stable and that sort of thing. It's like... We've missed it. They should just legit make this podcast the course you have to take for NFP. Oh, they could pay us a few hundred dollars, right? We can make a licensing deal out of this. Oh, I'm sure you'd like okay, that. Okay, so, so Dan McNichol, our good friend, who is engaged, he sent screenshots. What? What are you laughing about? Did you see the screenshots? Okay, he yeah. sent screenshots of- From uh, his marriage prep From class. his marriage prep class. And they did a cardinal sin of acronyms. Okay, they did five sentences. But they didn't use the first letter of the of the you know first letter of the first word of the sentence. They were like, 
they were like three letters in, they capitalized it. Like, how do you have an acronym with letters in the middle? You know what I mean? It'd be like your acronym is ACE, but then it's like, uh, can't, uh, you know, they, they, did, they did whatever they could yeah, whatever in order to make it work. Make an acronym, but it, it's it not was, an I think, they, they called it the first aid kit for your marriage relationship. First and, aid and the kit. acronym was always, but they were things like be addicted to the sacraments, write down your priorities, communicate with the A and communicate highlighted. That's what I'm talking like about, they yeah. just went, they just went random, if you will. Um, yeah, the last actually, I'm sorry, two words they, weren't even included. It, it was just, it was a travesty, if you will. And then we I, wonder I really, like, why is marriage and the family messed up? It's like, because we're trying to do like a middle school business ethics presentation when we're supposed to be teaching people Catholic social teaching, Catholic sexual ethics, indoctrinating them. And I use that in the best sense of the word, right? Indoctrinating according to the Catholic doctrine, which is the fullness of truth in life, because it is Jesus Christ indoctrinating them into the Catholic vision of life in reality of, of, of what Christ talks us about. And the Catholic vision of life is one of goodness and goodness is naturally diffusive of itself. Um, the Catholic knows that properly according to the nature and um, I'm sorry, the Catholic knows that their life should be ordered around things which according to their nature are higher and therefore his life's priorities should be around the heavenly goods with God at the top. And so the Catholic's life is ordered to things like leisure, not work, which emphasizes the finer things over the menial things, which are only good insofar the as they make like the final Freud, things possible. Year. Great example, right? Um, and, and, and marriage and the family, the, the reason why this conversation is crucial, right, is because marriage and the family is at the heart of civilization. We've articulated that. And is itself the first society. Therefore, one's approach to marriage and the family is a microcosm and this is not, it's really not an exaggeration to say that one's approach to marriage and the family is a microcosm of one's entire worldview because the family is this little, this little tiny society. It's a reflection of the Trinity. And in that sense, it's kind of a reflection of the whole reality, which sounds really bold to say, but it's theologically pretty potent. Not my idea, not articulating it that way. But this is why it's so important to get these things right. It, you, couldn't, you couldn't have a better way to approach the culture war than by arguing for a rediscovery of the Catholic vision of reality through marriage and the family. It touches upon everything. You get this right, the microcosm, the macrocosm will follow. Wasn't it, uh, I think it was Han, right? Dr. Han and our professor up here, Dr. Scott Han, we had sacraments with him. And he, he yeah. said, if Catholics lived out the graces of the sacrament of matrimony in one generation, we would have a completely Catholic culture. Beautiful. And I think what he's saying he says in one sentence what you and I have taken an hour and a half to explain, Frick. if you will. Uh, well, no, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I would have asked some clarifying questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that's exactly my point, if you will, that it all hinges, and Our Lady of Fatima says this, right? That the last battle between heaven and hell will be over marriage and the family. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not, it's not an exaggeration to extrapolate from that the whole of civilization, the whole of the church and the whole of the Christian people. No. If the family goes, everything else does. Um and, and so the, the conversation about NFP, right, might sound somewhat pedantic um, or is something which is really only pertaining to those avoiding children or newlyweds. And that's so, so wrong. That was like the majority of my pushback. Right. Which, which is the, reasonable. Was, you yeah. should push back against that. You're right to do so. I agree with your pushback. And I think the answer to the pushback is let's push all of that nonsense out and bring all of the beauty of Catholic social doctrine in. Mm, the beauty. Oh, okay. The quote, and I have to do this every single podcast. This is like the best quote ever. Uh, <laughs> Dostoevsky, of course, from the greatest author ever, besides obviously God who wrote the Bible. Yeah. Okay. So this is Dostoevsky quote. He said, um, beauty is a war 
Christ and the devil are, beauty is a war. Christ uh, and the devil are fighting there. And the battlefield is the heart of man. Wow. So it's, it's, it's a war. Like the heart of man wants to have something beautiful to, um, you know, th- like a vision of reality that's beautiful. That's what draws our desire. And like the Catholic vision of the family as being fecund, as being fertile, as being having children and the, the prolis fide sacramentum, having a husband and wife who are faithful to each other, living sacramental life, living a Catholic vision. That's just so much more beautiful than this childless life that's being pushed on people in the culture. Ordered to material and things. Ordered and towards material things. And um, well, so you, you, want, have this you want to know the really funny thing? Spoiled and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. that'd be awful. Here, here's the really funny thing, right? When we think of beautiful, beautiful physical things in a lot of ways, like let's take one example, beautiful architecture. We'll go back to things like Gothic cathedrals or, or medieval Renaissance art and that sort of thing, which is, or Italian Renaissance art in particular, which is deemed as kind of like the highest point that human art has ever achieved in a lot of ways. And you can debate that, but I don't really intend to. The idea is that a lot of people think that and that some of our most classic examples of beauty come from the height of Christendom when these things were being lived correctly. It's not that when Christendom is being lived, you don't have material well-being and prosperity. No, no, no. You have it better in more abundance. That That's the whole principle that Jesus lays out in, in I, I don't remember which of the gospels this is, but that seek ye first the kingdom and all these things too will be given. It's, it's not a, you have to choose between the kingdom and earth. It's that if you choose earth, you lose not only heaven, but earth as well. And if you choose heaven, you gain both. It's a win-win or a lose-lose. There's no other way around it. And so the argument for a return to a Catholic society and beauty and whatnot is not some sort of theoretical argument or or a theological argument in the aesthetics of beauty in some sort of odd metaphysical esoteric floating in the sky sort of sense. It's like, no, no, no. Do you realize that the home that you live in with more children will naturally be a more beautiful home physically than a home without children? And it's not, oh, well, the person who lives in the mansion down the street with you know two kids and therefore can afford a $500,000 home has a more beautiful home. It's like, no, no, you've missed, you've missed the point in some sense. Beauty is not something that you can either pay for, and it certainly isn't something that is independent of an ideological incarnation. What I mean by that is beauty is not merely physical. It's, it's not something which is purely material. There is always behind it an instance of the spiritual. There's, there's a relationship between the spiritual and the material known as an incarnation, right, which is beauty mm. in a lot of ways. It's because the beauty is a transcendental, the, the three transcendentals being truth, beauty, and goodness. And where truth and goodness meet in a physical instance, beauty. And that's totally. why that's why families that are large are beautiful in ways that the modern world often can't see, not because the beauty is only apparent to those who buy into this weird ideological notion, but they've blinded themselves ideologically. Mm. It's so weird, but it's, oddly enough, beautiful to see it from the inside. <laughs> Dude, we're tracking on the... Okay, so one of my favorite authors, uh, Vladimir Soloviev, uh, philosoph- Russian philosopher, he's a contemporary of Dostoevsky. Yep. But yeah, he defines beauty as the instanti- instantiation, the materialization of an idea. Yeah. And then Good basically and argues idea. that there are better, um, let's say, physical instantiations of ideas, and mm-hmm. that makes it more beautiful, or the idea is higher, right? So he like compares, why do we see a diamond as being so beautiful and not coal, even though they're the carbon makeup is similar, right? Like you don't give your engaged a, a block of coal, right? Yeah. That'd be that'd be very capitalistic, very practical, though. You know, 
Um, but you give a diamond, right? And a diamond has no intrinsic value apart from what, well, it, okay, according to Slovia it does, but like, why does it have an intrinsic value? Like, why do we give it such a value? Is it just an arbitrary imposition? Well, for Soloviev, it has a, um, it is instantiating an idea. Now, what's the idea? Like, uh, it's really solid, right? You can't cut it. It's really hard to cut, so it's permanent. It reflects light, so uh, it's vibrant, and it's permanent, and it's it's beautiful, right? So it's instantiating this idea in a material form, right? And Soloviev uses this to say, well, what's the most beautiful thing that's ever existed? The person of Jesus Christ, actually. Yeah. Because the highest beauty is the physical form on earth, because we are the ones who more perfectly instantiate the divine. We 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 uh, right. bring that idea right. into like materialization, Made right? In the image and likeness, which is the reason why like a portrait will always be more beautiful than like the the best portrait will always be better than the best landscape, mm-hmm. right? You could have a really that's crappy, an interesting portrait, view, but, yeah. Um, so that's the reason why, and, and the human form particularly, and this this isn't just you know us being humans and like well we're the best, but it really is approximating the divine. Now the person of Jesus Christ is the perfect instantiation of the divine. It's the incarnation, so. Christ is the most beautiful thing ever. Yeah. Right. Beautiful, yeah. Most beautiful person. And when you live a Christian life and you're imitating Christ and you're imitating that in your family, it's just more beautiful. I, I agree. And maybe if I could, while we're on the topic, because I don't often get a chance to talk about this, but this is a perfect time to do it. Let me bring it a little bit closer to home with an example um, of craftsman architecture, which which is a total side hobby of mine in a lot of ways, but very interesting as far as the topic is concerned. So let's assume a Catholic worldview. Right, and a Catholic view of family and whatnot, because that's the perfect setting for a craftsman home. Um, craftsman architecture is an extension of the arts and crafts movement that began in uh, England under John Ruskin as a rebellion against the Industrial Revolution, and it followed its way over into the United States, um, primarily under the influence of William Morris and um, St- uh, Mr. Stickley, actually, who were, who were two huge guys as far as I was concerned. Um, but but they're, they're philosophies of human life that become physically instantiated inside a home, if you will. So it's ordered toward things like family unity, which is a really interesting concept. Like your home actually makes your marriage better or your family better. These guys would argue, yes. You can explain it like this, right? So you can imagine a home or let's let's just take the living room, right? And you want to order the living room. It's physical instantiation around certain principles. The first being family unity. So you decide we've got to have a fireplace, a hearth of some kind where people can gather and be part of something communal. Um, Second, you realize that there are going to be people who are going to like, say, for example, older members of the family who can't get up and dance on the large floors, the younger children kind of whatnot, but who still want to be a part of it. So you incorporate little tiny like nooks and crannies or alcoves where they can sit and be a part of things, but out of the way, if you will, of the life and festivity that are occurring, um, you think, okay, well, I don't want the living room to be divorced from the rest of the home, right? From the kitchen where the meal is being prepared and from the dining room where the people are eating it to the uh, living room where we're celebrating the joy of life and being together. So you don't have like big walled or doored partitions. You've got maybe an open window of some kind that you can see into the kitchen as the food is being prepared. And there's an arcway between the kitchen and the dining room where the food is brought in and prepared. And all of these things start to come together just because you've decided, listen, I want to order my home such that it's easier to be virtuous in my home. And suddenly you've got a beautiful home. Anyone listening to this, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, Google craftsman architecture, craftsman living room, stunning. 
and they and they use, for example, like all natural materials that you would find in around the area because their idea is that your home should be a natural outgrowth of the area which you live, which is totally in line with the Catholic view of subsidiarity and that sort of thing. So the whole point behind this tiny little tangent is that the Catholic view of life has, if you will, the high theoretical side of beauty that you articulated really well from Solovia, which I would like to read more on, but that finds its way into the practical and the physical of the everyday life, something as mundane as a living room, if you will. It's not simply a theoretical reflection on the relative beauty of portraits and landscapes, though that's a good thing. The Catholic can expect and should enjoy in his life in order to separate the good from the bad and in order to prioritize the correct goods in his life, should expect and work for more beautiful physical dwelling places, if you will. That's ordered towards family unity. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Like this million dollar apartment studio we have right here. Um, it's uh, it's pretty, you know, it's an instantiation of that type of beauty that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, we should bring Steubenville Craftsman architecture. That that would be, you'd that's be, an interesting. You'd be interested uh, to know that there are a number of famous homes in and around the Ohio River Valley area. So Stickley was located in Pennsylvania. There, there are homes around here, but cool. Interestingly enough. So. Anything that you're, any projects that you're thinking of, architecture-wise? Yeah, I want to build a home. <laughs> I want to build a home. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, from the ground up, like custom home? Yeah, sure, man, according to these same principles. Listen, if I want to get married, I want to have a family, I want to live this out. Um, what better way to do that than by prudently deciding with the woman whom I'm going to have a family with, or at least according to the principles that I know I want my family to live by, then I should, as I plan out for the rest of my family's life, plan and design the home that they will grow into virtue in. That's my project. Find a place to put the charts to the NFT chart. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Over the fireplace. <laughs> yeah. Big family gathering. Right, we can get guys. together. She's fertile. All right. <laughs> yeah. All the kids will know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Nick, do you have a future career as an NFP planner for a diocese? <laughs> uh, Alex, I disagree with careers and both dioceses and positions like that, but this sounds like a conversation for another day. Okay. So, I mean, this has been given to the laity mostly, right? Uh, in terms of like NFP classes and whatever, yeah, like uh, it, there's certainly a number they, of clergy. Do they have really to get involved. certified or something? Like, do you know much about? Um, I don't know much about the particulars. I have never taken an NFP class. Like you have a handbook. Well, so right? I'm reading a handbook, right? And I've also I've read compendiums of NFP documents over the course of history and whatnot, letters that have been written out. Because when it came out, it was a huge thing. Um, not because that Catholic sexual ethics was invented, right? But especially in the wake of the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, this articulation of Catholic sexual ethics and the treatment that was given explicitly by like Rome and that sort of thing was really exciting. And now Catholics like had, if you will, a, a way to fight back against this cultural issue, a way to be Catholic in the world today and understand why they're not doing what the world is doing. Um, really, I think, and I hope to have at least provided a preliminary defense of why I think NFP is beautiful, properly understood, because NFP is just an articulation of the Catholic view of life and work and human relationships and sex and family and children and whatnot. Um, and all it is, is a roadmap to get there, if you will. You can turn the roadmap upside down, <laughs> Um, you can choose not to follow it. You can go all the, over the place, right? But that that's not the fault of the map. Um, How did my, you get originally interested in the topic? Because I, I think you, you've you evolved your position, right? Am I, am I wrong on that? I, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, I've, I've stayed fundamentally consistent as far as what I think is true is concerned. Um, but my understanding of what NFP is in and of its essence has certainly matured because I have seriously... I've, I've seriously researched the original documents and what people who propose NFP say of themselves which I had not done two or three years ago. 
Right. How, how did Nash get... Uh, he was he was already interested as well, right? Nash, and Nash you guys interested. used to yeah, do yeah. Nick and Nash, NFP with Nick and Nash? Is that yeah. Right? Well, we did one of those because we, we had a class with uh, Dr. Miss Waldstein, and she brought it up in class one day. Um, and so that sparked a conversation amongst some of us honor students, and it just got going as things do with kids at the university, and you begin to talk, and suddenly it came about. Especially that, you honor students. You yeah. guys really love to talk. Well, all the men do anyhow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> much yeah. love to my female classmates and honors. Uh, They'll know what I'm talking yikes, about. Yikes, after that comment, no, just <laughs> No. Um, I, I yeah. mean, I Men say, do I, the talking, guys. Men do the talking, all right? No, that's not Kellen what I mean. Kellen and Alex, you heard here first. <laughs> There's, uh, have we? I think we may have had... We've definitely had um, questions from, from females. We haven't had one on the, on the podcast. Well, I hate to expose you for that, but all I meant by yikes. that was Nash and I talk a lot. We like ideas. We like to get in arguments. As a matter of fact, we were once separated by a professor who asked us to apologize for each other because we got so into an argument that they thought we were like fighting each other. And we had to oh, explain nice. like, nah, man, like it's all chill. We're friends. We're, we're going at... Uh, we're Wait, we're talking about an idea. Yeah, a professor separated us so like, guys, you can't fight. Um, we're like, we're not fighting. Um, I don't want to reveal anything about the professor because I think he or she had our best interest in mind. Okay. But my point there in being that nation, I get into things um, and it's, it's great. I love it about him and he's a great guy to talk with. Um, but so we got into it and some of our classmates are like, well, this is really interesting. Could you articulate this more for us? Like, could you talk about it with us? And I proposed, I'm like, wouldn't it be fun? If we did an NFP with Nick and Nash, like the alliteration just sounds like a, a sign from God. Um, everyone rejected that idea, but I, <laughs> I pushed it forward and everyone came. So it was all good. Wow. But. We had Plato. Well, you listened to the Plato podcast I did. last time, but he was talking about like he. OK, he says I um, he said women are superior to men. <laughs> That's just his 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 principle or whatever. I don't know how much joking he thinks, but. Uh, he said when when we're having conversations or whatever, like guys can really argue and get like seemingly like ready to rip each other's heads off, right? Yeah. In terms of uh, fighting philosophically or whatever. And uh, we can like detach emotion from whatever. But Plato's like, that's not a superior quality in a lot of ways. Maybe it's a little bit easier. Not necessarily. For, not necessarily. Maybe it is in, in like some business ways, circumstances or whatever. Yeah, but like, yeah. you know... Uh, Oftentimes, that same situation, if you were really getting angry with an argument or whatever, like there's more of an emotional reaction from a woman. And this is just generalizations yeah, yeah. from what, what Plato was well, saying. Well, they're generalizations and they're two generalizations and they're part of the balance that masculine and feminine nature give to each other, if you will. Yeah. Um, it, it, a great example to bring it back to something we've been talking about in marriage, right? Um, you, you would hope that the the feminine nature might allow the man to recognize that there are that often there are people behind the arguments and ideas, and that when he's talking about them, this is actually often the case with contraception or abortion, for example, that you try and argue it intellectually, and someone in the back of their mind is thinking about their sister who had an abortion, right, mm. or or their own use of contraception that they don't feel good about, and so they're arguing what seems to be intellectually, but it's really personally in a lot of ways, yeah. and the man might be able to help the woman separate her own personal feelings and emotions from the objective realm of ideas. But um, certainly, I think that that really is true of men. And Alex, you and I are a great example of that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> Dude, the arguments we can get into. I yeah, mean, the arguments we got into in Austria. They're lovely. And and I wouldn't trade them. And I like, and I think that you do as well, having someone that you can have fiery conversations with. Um, in a lot <laughs> I, of ways. I don't know if lovely was the perfect term for that, but they're good. They're good conversations. Lovely, maybe. I don't know. If someone was like, what were big debates we used to argue in Austria. I can't remember. That was when I was reading Nietzsche. Definitely, definitely I was wasn't off, NFP, I was off the, the reservation at that point. That was... I. Oh, I was pretty much a nominalist. I... Uh, yeah, this is like confession time. 
a nominalist, hated Aristotelian metaphysics, thought it was all garbage, basically a reductionist materialist in some ways. Uh, it was pretty bad. Well, and now you're a pro NFP guy, so it's all good. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't know if I would say I'm convinced. I, I definitely am. Uh, well, so- I think I, I don't think it's completely in principle wrong. But the thing for me is I I'm still caught up on should we really focus on this aspect of it? What's as this much? aspect? Because maybe it would be useful Sorry, as we as why we close we focus out the podcast, on NFP as opposed to just saying. Awesome, you're getting married. All right, have kids. And if there's a serious reason why you shouldn't, come talk to the priest and we'll talk about it and here's a possible way. My response would be, you have a reductionistic view of NFP as only a method by which you get or deny children. Okay, yes. NFP actually presents itself as an articulation of Catholic sexual ethics and which argues that by understanding these things, spousal love is increased. Your understanding of what it means to be a parent is deepened, and it leads you further into virtue by by giving you this knowledge, or even by presenting, if you will, um, a Catholic view of life, sex, family, and God, which you otherwise wouldn't get from the secular world. Reducing NFP to the mechanism, I think, is the problem, and I'm with you against the problem. Got it. What do you, what would you say to NFP? Maybe more in principle. Than as this reduction reductionistic view of some sense, I, uh, I well, you know, I don't want to be a NFP leader at my parish. Uh, I don't want to have to be the lay leader. Maybe you could be that at a parish. You know, I don't know I, you may, if you're open to it or whatever. But off to discern. Um, yeah, you have to plan it out. I don't see if it fits with your family life. But um, yeah, do I have reservations? I we've we've pretty much addressed. Nearly all of them. Okay. In terms of good. like, good. Okay, well, things that we needed to address, whatever. This is a, uh, and, and I had a podcast with Clem on modesty. And when you, it, these are actually fairly narrow topics. Like, modesty is in some way fairly narrow. Like, w- what I had to do with mo- when I was talking to Clem about modesty, what I tried to do is let's position this whole modesty argument within the broader sexualization and objectification of women, right? And I, I also think, um, commercialization i think was a big big aspect of that because like um a woman's body is you know uh advertising uh, pornography like there's people making money off of the sexualization and objectification of women and it's hurting people like it's Instagram, the greatest good with which you could barter <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah it's like yeah and that, that would be a good way to put it instagram like i think instagram is like the the most it's the bureau of propaganda of immodesty. I mean, it is just all the time in your face and it's telling like my younger sisters, right? They had to, I I'm continuously telling them get off of Instagram because it presents you with, this is how women are supposed to look, right? You're supposed to look this particular way and all of it's immodest, nearly all of it. Right. I agree. So anyways, so when Clem's making arguments about like, should a guy who knows he's attractive at the beach wear a shirt or not? I'm like, that's really specific. And I don't, it's kind of weird to even start talking about that in terms of argumentative form. Or let's say, should a, a you know, girl wearing yoga pants or something like that, or exercise wear. Um, like these are very specific, but I think when we're talking about these things, we have to contextualize it within like our culture screwed up, right? And when we're talking about NFP, for me, I always have to keep it at, with an eye of 
our whole culture is against conceiving. It's against having children. Yeah, it's the, we, and it, so it's called quite the rightly danger. the culture of death. Yeah. The danger is the culture of death. Like the, the danger is not people just figuring out, oh yeah, I'm going to have a lot of children and be irresponsible, right? I think in terms of dangers to be avoided, the one of a family having too many children for their financial situation is, uh, or for their responsibility or something like that, I find that far less dangerous than people using NFP as contraception. Like in terms of, in the same way, um, would it be worse that a woman, you know, decided to be overly modest and start wearing like, you know, uh, ankle length skirts all the time or rather would it be, you know, is the more the danger to be immodest rather than too modest, right? In terms of this practical mean that we're trying to find with modesty, in terms of the practical mean with families, like if they have tons of children and maybe they don't, you know, and they can still care for them, that seems to be less, let's say, a dangerous option in the mean than, you know, using it as contraception Yes, and not having that child that God intended you to have. And so and, when we're contextualizing yes. this, I'm always on, let's err on the side of less danger to the, because in practically when you have to teach it to somebody, right? So that's my big reservation with uh, being pro NFP in kind of a generic sense. Let me make maybe a final distinction then that I can articulate my own views on this more, more clearly. If we're going to talk about NFP as a technique or as a method, I am much, much more reserved and skeptical. I think that anything which purports to be scientific ought to immediately set off red like warning bells in your eye or, or in your mind's eye and that sort of thing, um, especially in today's day and age, because scientific is not a good word to use. It sounds good. It's like the modern sacred in some sense, right? Something is scientific, then it's good. We approve of it. It's like objective. It's like one of the last remaining bastions of something objective that you can argue for, although even that's dying away with like transgenderism and that sort of thing. Um, but I am woefully afraid of introducing into marriage science where virtue should be and attempting to make a method or technique of what ought to be virtue, right? And at the extreme end of it, you see a, a husband who's like so divorced from the reality of his wife's own condition that rather than speaking with her and understanding the natural rhythms of her own life, while she's lying there sickly, he's like consulting a chart like, oh, let's see, uh, can we have sex tonight or not? She's over there trying to have a conversation with him. And he's like, sorry, I can't hear you over this chart I'm looking at. Like, that's awful. You, and, and, and you can't. Where's my pen? <laughs> I can right. see if you're fertile or not. Jeez. Exactly. But, but that is a perversion of a technique. And I think the technique might lend itself to that perversion. I think I would grant you that. And I think I would agree with that. Um, that there are problems with methods, especially in the modern day and age, because we are afraid of virtue and personal responsibility. And we'd rather lend ourselves to a technology which does it for us. We want to offshore personal virtue. And that's exactly what the technique of maybe the method or that sort of thing might enable us to do. So I grant that it has that danger. Um, so we've got, on one hand, NFP as a technique, which is has the tendency or maybe the, the danger, the temptation of substituting itself for virtue, which is a horrendous problem. It really couldn't get worse than that. On the other hand, we have NFP broadly understood as the articulation of the Catholic social worldview and Catholic sexual ethics. And as far as that's concerned, I'm all on board. Gung-ho. Mm. We need more of it as much as possible, as a matter of fact. Teach it, shout it from the rooftops. We should write books about it. We should have podcasts about it. Everyone should be talking about it. We should be practicing it. There should be NFP groups at every local parish, just like there should be people at every local parish reading social encyclicals from the popes. That's what they asked us to do. And here we are not reading them. Um, in the same way, why would young men and women not gather to talk about their families? We need to do that. Do we need more techniques and methods? No. 
we need to be wary of the techniques and the methods. And I think maybe maybe having made that clean split between the two understandings of NFP, we can kind of get to the two sides of my opinion, if you will. And like showing the beauty of Catholic families. Yeah. Like showing that as being something beautiful, as being like everyone says, oh, you should have s- small families and whatever. Like there's such a beauty to the Catholic vision of the family, to marriage, to being open to children. Like, like even this, you know, secular political commentator was saying, like, no one looks back at the end of life and says, I wish I had less children. Like, yeah. even naturally, people kind of recognize, um, wow, that's really cool. Like, you have mm-hmm. a lot of children. That's like our culture is pushing against that idea so much. Sure. Right. Because children are a constraint on your autonomy. That's right. And yeah, I mean, it's, it, <laughs> it's, uh, hindering this economic, you know, behemoth that we've made this, this Leviathan of our modern capitalistic system. Right. Us, yeah, us exactly. proletariat members here. Um, <laughs> shout out by the way. Um, but yeah, there's such a beauty and inherent beauty to the Catholic family and the Catholic vision of family, sexuality, marriage that. Right. And it's, that's what we need to shout from the rooftops. I'd it's say. natural without the evil, you know, the evils of, of our, uh, our present day. And it's, it's in grace too. Like Christ gives you the grace to actually live out this sacrament. Yeah. Live out the sacramentality of marriage. Um, it, that, that has to be primary. Like when we're teaching this stuff and I, you're kind of identifying the terms, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it at the moment of NFP and like Catholic vision of marriage and, and the family and stuff. Um, but yeah, if, if that's included of the beauty of the Catholic family, then I'm all for it. That should be taught. It should be something that Catholics are, t- you know, talking to each other about right. mutually encouraging each other. Like we have a big family. We have a community of big families that are parish. Like we have them over to our house and you know, there's like freaking 50 kids running around. It's a really yeah, cool yeah, thing. Yeah. You know? It is a great thing. So, so maybe let me close or come to a close by kind of drawing all of this together with a quote from John Paul II. This was from his first visit to the United States. It's 1979. And he made these remarks in a homily. And he says here, quote, decisions about the number of children and the sacrifices to be made for them must not be taken only with a view to adding comfort and preserving a peaceful existence. Reflecting upon this matter before God, with the graces drawn from the sacrament and guided by the teachings of the church, parents will remind themselves, and then we get into the quote we made earlier, that it is certainly less serious to deny their children the certain comforts or material advantages that come with wealth than to deprive them the presence of brothers and sisters. So think, that it, it, it draw to my, my intention the part that you made about the sacramentality of it. That the, the question, and he articulates this really well, number of children, sacrifices to be made, how we go all about that, which in some sense, those are the two paradigmatic questions about NFP here, are taken not only with a view to adding comfort and preserving peaceful existence, and I think we could add there, not only with a view towards simply how many children must I have before I'm not Catholic, or how many children um, am I allowed not to have, but that this matter must be brought before God with graces drawn from the sacrament and guided by the invaluable teaching of the church and its tradition. And I think if you Love can it. if you can justify yourself in terms of that, you will be really good to go. And JP2, as far as man. as far as NFP means that, I'm down. JP two, pray for us. JP two, pray for us. Nick, wonderful podcast, man. I'm I'm really glad to have you uh, to have had you on. Uh, this is what your third time on the on the show, the Kellen Alex third or fourth, something like. By that. By the way, rest certainly peace, the Kellen. most academic, but rest in peace, Kellen. He's in California right now, enjoying the nice weather, and uh, he's actually at his uh, sister's wedding. She's getting married tomorrow, so good for you, buddy. Miss yeah. you, man. So I, I hope he, you know, we wish him all the her her, um, you know, the wedding and and um, her future family. God be and, praised uh, for another Catholic marriage. Pray for him. So uh, that's gonna wrap it up for us, Kellen and Alex. Show baby, 
the NFP podcast with Nick Larkins. Oh my gosh. What, what a podcast. Uh, also, thanks to uh, John Kerry and uh, Gabe helping us out today. Listening live audience. Oh my gosh. Kellen and Alex show, dude. Live, lo- live audience and also broadcasting to millions of people across the world, across this planet. Go out there and, uh, and be fruitful and multiply. Have epic Catholic families. Any, any last words, Mr. Larkins? Couldn't have said it better myself, Alex. <laughs> return, to, return to the beauty of the vision of Catholic social life. Exactly. Thank you guys so much for listening and peace out.